am going to read the passage that Michael is going to preach on this morning. So we're going to be reading Psalm 18 together. I'll give you a moment to find it. Okay. Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me, and the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too many for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with the strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there, were none, there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. 
I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from the strife, from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me from above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. All right. Whew. You guys made it through. You made it through all 50 verses of Psalm 18. At least I didn't have her read Psalm 119, though, right? Did the guy that preached on that like a month ago read all the way through it? No, okay, yeah. Thank the Lord, I guess. Though I, Megan's family went to a sermon where a guy did that. He read through the whole Psalm 119 and then did like a 45-minute sermon, but you guys just get in Psalm 18. Well, really excited to be here and to be able to share some thoughts from the psalm with you. Um, yeah, it's just these stories just get me pumped up, even though it's <laughs> stories that I've lived. And the story of psalm is kind of what we're going to be looking at, too, and how we'll be talking about stories a lot. And even just something that's really real life, like yesterday I got a text from this Chinese guy that I just met him last week. He's like, I was really glad to be able to meet you and look forward to talking with you at your convenient time. I want to learn more about America culture and religion from you. It's just like, that was, we met at a Starbucks for 45 minutes, and then he sends me a text the next day, because we started getting a conversation about God, and it's like, the nations are here. (laughs) I mean, we went there for the first time, but they're here, and it's just really exciting, so I'm so glad you guys can be part of that. So thankful. Well, we don't have much time to cover 50 verses, so we won't be going through line by line. Uh, Don't worry, that's... That's not my intention today. Actually, I hope to just kind of magnify God. Big surprise. But we're going to have to take a quick survey, so a lot of this is probably going to have to be on your own to dig a little bit deeper, because as you just heard, this sermon, I mean, I'm sorry, this passage, it's pretty dynamic. (laughs) There's a lot going on. There's a lot happening. So let's kind of do something that we can handle. As I was reading through it, the lens that really stood out to me that I was looking through was how in verse 3 David talks about how God is worthy to be praised. And so we're going to be looking through the lens of how is David showing us that God is worthy of our worship, worthy of all of our praise and him alone. So you see a quote by the man who has written about half the books in our library at home, I think, (laughs) Tim Keller. We might be a little obsessed. But I thought I'd start out because I think this is so simple but so brilliant. He says, everyone worships something. The only choice you get is what to worship. And I love the songs that we've been singing, the last three songs we just sang about God's great name and just put your burdens on him. Those fit so well with, with what we're going to cover. And honestly, this talking about what we worship can be kind of a Christianese term sometimes, right? It's just something we, we use that word a lot. Maybe people outside the church don't really know what does that mean, but it's really grounded in reality because what we worship is going to affect what we do day to day, what you do after you leave here. It's going to affect everything that you do. What are we going to put all of our time in, our money towards, our purpose and our value? What are we going to put those things in? 
And for these international students, that many of which have become good friends to us, you know, we get to witness firsthand, and you get to witness firsthand in your life. Uh, I, I see these students worshiping a degree, or parental approval, or finding a job, or just comfort, happiness. Like these are definitely the ultimate things in their life. It's very apparent. Um, but guess what? I don't think we <laughs> are any different. They might be coming from these different cultures that are very, very different from ours, but we still have these same heart problems and the same competition for worship in our lives. The degree, the job, the comfort, the financial stability, these things that can just take us down. Because when the world you know, comes crashing down for us, when things don't go that way, or if we don't get those things, you know, in those moments, what are you going to cling to? What, what are we going to hold on to? Or even if you do get the degree and the job and the financial piece, you know, you get celebrity status or something. If you're on the French soccer team that just won the World Cup, spoiler alert, I don't think any of you actually care. But I've been watching more soccer now that I've worked with international students, so sorry if that ruined it. But even if you do get all these things, why is it that these people we look up to, like celebrities, they still want more? They're not satisfied either. You know, what gives? Is it possible that they're not giving us the joy, the peace that they're promising, and that they're not worth our worship? So instead of, you know, these idols, what is, what's David calling our attention to in this psalm? And if nothing else, I want to kind of focus on I want you to focus on kind of two verses from here that I, I pulled out. Psalm 18.3 and 1831, which says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? So what do we, what do we learn from this, from verse 31? God is worthy, God alone. Have I lost any of you? Okay, I think you guys got it. If nothing else, you know, that is like one tiny sentence, easy to see, easy to nod your head, you know, laugh at how simple it is, nearly impossible to actually live out and believe and follow, right? Because <laughs> if you really believe that in the moments where, you know, you're getting angry with your kids or you're, you're committing sin, that's just showing that you're really not believing it. But thankfully, God gives us his spirit to be able to do those things. And growing up in the church my whole life, I grew up in a Christian Missionary Alliance church in Spokane, Washington, before I moved to Seattle. And it's easy for me to pay lip service to God, or like Megan said, in ministry, to, to have this professional relationship. I can do the mechanics of the Christian life here in America. But am I, when I analyze my heart, am I really, is my heart worshiping? Is it in a posture of worship to God, or is it in a posture of worship to, to something else? And we'll get into some of those things. So that's the proposition, because in our Western world, we like to do proposition sermons where I lay something out and then defend it. Um, so the next slide, how are we supposed to believe that God is worthy of worship? I mean, you definitely should just believe it because it's in the Bible. But, you know, when we're actually thinking about this and processing, how are we supposed to believe this? And you can talk, you know, we can talk all day about philosophies and just like how what we see around us proves that God's there and all of these passive qualities of God that definitely point to how we should definitely be worshiping him. But what I kind of wanted to focus in in just our short time today was really focusing in on how God shows us. He isn't just there. He's totally active and totally demonstrating how he's working in our lives today 
in the nitty-gritty, in the day-to-day, if nothing else, I just want to wanna magnify God, but I also want to bring him down to, you know, just like Jesus, he came to the earth. I want to bring it down to this level of total reality because <laughs> it's so easy to, to keep God up there and not see him in reality. And don't get me wrong, I, I love talking about, like, complex theology and philosophy and, goodness, we get into, we, we run a spiritual discussion group every week at UW, so I get into conversations all the time, and I love it. I love apologetics and that stuff. But in Psalm 18, we're seeing David respond to the story that God's given him, the way that God has worked in his life, and this is David's response, and he's even kind of retelling some of the story. Um, and I think the really neat thing about story and retelling of stories of how God has really shown himself to be working in your life is that no one can take that away from you. When I'm in that spiritual discussion group with students and we pivot from just talking about abstract ideas to, but I saw God do this in my life. I'm changed now. Or I saw this in my friend. It doesn't have to be my story. Um, I, I know someone or just flip through the Bible. That, that's what the whole Bible is, is all these stories of people with changed lives and how God's worked. And all they can do at that point, you know, all that you can do at that point is just that your friend has to sit and listen and be like, okay. And they have to decide what to do with that because you can't take it away. It's a, it's a real experience. And that's pretty important in our culture today. That's like, their first question is like, well, if I become a Christian, how's that going to change me? How's that going to change my life? And I think that's exactly what David wants us to see in Psalm 18. He wants us to see that God is really actively at work, and he's just giving him all the praise for that, and we can take so much away. God is actively at work. He's actively at work from a cosmic scale all the way down to the intimate moments in our lives. And it can be silly to just come up here and say, like, I want you guys to see that God is real, (laughs) but I can just get to the, I know, I can get to those moments where I'm just like, I've been doing ministry for six years now, and I've grown up in the church my whole life. I've known God for so long, but I can get to those low places where I'm like, is, is all of this for real? <laughs> is, is everything I believe, is this really what's happening in the world? Is this, is this really what's going on? And, and God in his grace, like, he speaks to me in those moments, or he gives us reminders, and these stories are such a powerful reminder. So, I want you to, while I'm talking to think of stories in your life of how God has worked, and I'll leave you with a question like that. But for our remaining time, I want to kind of pull out mm, some different themes, you could say, from this psalm, since we don't have time to look at every line. As I was going through, I just saw, okay, David is really pointing towards this. And, I mean, honestly, you could, you could take this text so many different ways. There's so much depth and richness to it, so... I'm not saying this is like the one thing because there's, there's so much, but I want us to see how David's story is showing us that God alone is worthy. So let's, let's take a look. So there's, there's six of these things. We'll, we'll go through. The first one will probably be the longest, but we'll have to go quick. Uh, verses one through three, God wants to be our strength. That's, that's what we can take from this from David. David praises God in those opening verses that you just heard with eight different expressions. Eight expressions based on his knowledge and his experience of God. What did he say? He's his rock, his fortress, deliverer, shield, whoredom, salvation, stronghold, refuge. We just sang about God being our refuge. 
I mean, it's so incredible that God wants to be our strength. We can take that for granted, that God is actively like pursuing us and he wants that for David. He wanted that for David. And we saw that when you compare Saul's story versus David's story of Saul not relying on God versus David relying on God. Go read First and Second Samuel. They're incredible. Um, we can just so take that for granted because you know what the alternative to that is? Is that you get to be your own strength. I have to be my own strength in this life when all these things come crashing down, when it gets so hard and when you're not sure how to keep going or when you're, well, yeah. And for our, our Muslim friends, we love them to death and they're so, so kind, so friendly. The culture we were just in was so hospitable, but it just breaks my heart whenever we're talking and you know they're talking about what they learn in Islam, and all they're offered is the burden of the world on their shoulders because in their, what they're taught, their theology is that life is a test. You better hope you pass. Hopefully you do enough good. Hopefully you don't do enough bad. And guess what? Yeah, God's the one that ultimately forgives you, but you have no idea if he's going to or not, even though you're supposed to do all this good. I could go on for a long time. It's just, I don't mean to just like, slam it, but it's, it's just really sad um, because that's the exact opposite of what Jesus is offering, right? The exact opposite of the gospel. He's like, I'm going to take this for you to the cross. He doesn't want us to have that burden, nor could we even have it <laughs> in the first place. And so David is showing us this, and I think it's powerful and um, by no accident that when one of our Muslim friends from another part of the country, when he came to faith, he, when we asked him, like, what was um, instrumental in you becoming, like, coming to faith, um, he said, well, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. And you, you know what that is? Come, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I probably should have prefaced that by saying Jesus was saying all of that. Jesus doesn't want us to have that burden. God wants to be our refuge and strength. The question is, are you actually allowing him to do that? Moving on to the next one, verses 6 through 7. Now we're going to really start jumping. Um, 6 through 7, God listens to us in our distress. We see in verse 6, David says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried to my God for help. In his temple, he heard my voice. That's amazing enough. And then verse 7, we start seeing this picture. The earth reeled and rocked. The earth is shaking because God is responding to what David prayed. He knew that he could pray to God and that God would hear him. And so the, the crazy thing is, God actually does. The God of the universe is listening to one person. He will listen to you. He will listen to me. How about we contrast that with some of the idols of our time? You know, money is not going to listen to you when you're in debt or you're broke or you have a ton of money and you still want more. These people that we follow on social media, the influencers that make all this money from promoting products on our news feeds and Instagram and Snap and all these things, I'm sorry to say, this is going to hurt, they don't actually know you or care about you. Oh, 
Unless you know them personally, that's, that's whatever. But, and maybe I'm preaching my wife more than anyone, sorry. Uh, I just know this because, yeah. <laughs> um, they don't know us. And I, I have plenty of celebrities too, you know, my favorite band in the world that I finally met. And it's like, oh, they're not actually cool people like I thought they would be. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have longed after them. I won't drag them through the dirt because they're still the best band of all time. But I'm just saying, these people don't know us. <laughs> They're not going to listen. They're not going to respond when we're in distress. But the God of the universe is offering that. (laughs) And David saw that when he rescued him time and time and time and time again, gave him victory in battle, all these things. God wants us to see that. He provides a story through David to show us he will respond and rescue. It might not go, you know, the way we want to see it in this life, let's be honest, but we, we can be confident that he will. Maybe it won't be till we see him again. Let's go to the next point three here, verses seven through 18. Seven through 18 start getting pretty intense, don't they? God, the earth is reeling and rocking. God is coming down through thunder and there's lightning and there's cherubim and the seas are parting. It's quite the scene. Um, We're not sure after reading some commentaries and stuff, not sure if David literally physically saw these things happening, or if it's more of a metaphor. Um, But the fact remains that this is showing us that God is almighty, and he's all-powerful, and he's above creation, which definitely demands and says that he is, he's worthy of our worship. None of us would be here, nothing would be here, you know, if God hadn't made it. And that's, that's a simple idea, but it's powerful. And maybe we can contrast that with the easiest thing would be other religions in the world or, you know, my daughter Vienna only survived the 10-hour flight because Moana was on unlimited replay on that plane. And in Moana, okay, Moana's not trying to preach to you, but just roll with me on this. In Moana, there's Maui, the demigod, right? Meaning part God and man. And I'm going to get to how this really applies to life. Um, <laughs> the demigod, when he's talking about there's a creation story in his song, You're Welcome. And the story is he's pulling islands out of the sea and all these things. He turns like a lizard into a coconut tree. And actually, in a spiritual discussion group we had on campus, we read a, a creation story from some ancient like Native American tribe that talked about like this turtle that went into the water and pulled out mud and then it became the world. But none of that makes sense, right? <laughs> right? And why doesn't it make sense? Because there's no transcendence. God isn't above it. These people, these demigods, they're already working with what's in the world. And so we can just automatically just check, throw them out. (laughs) Like this doesn't make sense. That doesn't answer everyone's question. How did all of this get here? Because everyone has that question. And maybe you're like, okay, I'm, I'm not coming into contact with people from other religions much. That's not in your life often, you're not thinking deeply about Moana, that's fine. (laughs) But, but I really do think it's important because in our culture today, we as Christians are just thrown in the religion basket, right? (laughs) We're thrown in the religion basket. And so if we, if you just kind of accept that, it's like, no, these other, these other things, these other belief systems, like some of them are just so easy to be like, this, this doesn't make sense. It's not worthy of worship. There's a reason why I worship the God of the Bible. There's a rationality to it. God is showing us through what he's doing, through what he's doing in David's life, that he is powerful. He's above creation and worthy of our worship. 
Okay, we'll move on to, to verse 19. This isn't exactly a long section, but I thought it was really cool to pull out because it's just so neat and so powerful that God delights in us. Verse 19 says, he brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The fact that God delights in David, (laughs) I mean, David wrote this psalm. I was going to say this at the beginning, but I forgot that this psalm is recorded twice in the Bible, actually. It's recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 22 as a personal as a prayer, um, as a song of praise from David to God, and then it's, it's kind of modified for corporate worship, and that's what we find in, in the Psalms. And Psalm 22, or I, I'm sorry, Second Samuel 22, is definitely something that was written after all these things happening with, with David, the chief of sinners. Um, I mean, he wrote this after victories with Saul, and so maybe it was before Bathsheba and all these things, but the fact that God would delight in someone that murdered his military commander and stole his wife. I mean, isn't, isn't what we always say or our friends say if you're talking about faith, like, well, at least I haven't killed someone. At least I haven't robbed a bank. Like, oh, I'm glad your standards are so high. For, um, but, but, but they say that. Or they'll say, why can't God let me in if I live a good life? And it's like, when we see stories like this of, of God really delighting in David and you just start thinking about what the implications of that are, maybe, just maybe, that's pointing to the idea that it's not about what we do, but who our faith is in and who is our refuge. And how about we contrast that with our current like online shaming culture, yeah? <laughs> Where there is swift social justice if someone pops up and it goes viral of like, having bad parenting techniques or, you know, doing something really foolish, you know, our American culture, people on the internet will just come down and tear you down and leave you in the dust and, and then just move on to their next kill. I, I mean, it sounds intense, but I, maybe you don't spend as much time on the internet as me, but it see, it, it's for real. I just, I want to magnify how God is so forgiving and he, he, will de- he delights in you despite your faults. He delights in David. If he can delight in David, he can delight in you. Let's not put David up on a pedestal. Uh, He was a sinner, just like we are. But he also was righteous, as we see in this next section. Number five, six, God is uncompromisingly just. I don't think uncompromisingly is a word, but I threw it in anyway. Um, How can David say that based on the sin we just talked about? You know, a lot of people look at these verses in, in these verses 20 and 28, David's talking about his righteousness and he's blameless. And we're like, how can, how can you be blameless? blameless? But we see in there that David's talking about follow, keeping God's statutes and laws and following those. And, and in those Levitical laws, like you know, remember, remember the Torah here, that there's the sacrificial provision for sin. And this is definitely how... God is showing us that David has righteousness based on keeping these commandments and that this sacrifice is covering his sin, ultimately pointing to what? Sacrifice of Jesus. Yes, you guys all mumbled that perfectly. (laughs) And many people maybe ask, why can't God just forgive? Why can't he just forgive? Actually, a lot of our our Muslim friends, again, will ask that when we're, we're talking about Jesus' death on the cross, and they're like, why, why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't God 
He can, God can do anything. Why can't he just do that? But I think it's, it's so cool. It's so cool when you see Jesus' sacrifice and you see it as God set this standard of justice and he's not willing to bend that even for himself. And so instead of compromising himself, he enters in and steps in front of that justice and takes it on our behalf. And so in that moment on the cross, God's demonstrating his unwavering commitment to justice and his sacrificial love to us at the same time. I think that's just the coolest thing in the world. So let's move on to the last one. Verses 29 through 50, which is a pretty big chunk, and you could definitely pull out a lot of stuff from here especially, but it really, I love how the psalm ends with God just showing how faithful he is to his promises. He's showing that he's faithful to the promise that he made to David of, of creating an eternal kingdom through his line. And guess what? He promises that. Verse 50, great salvation he brings to his king and shows a steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. When he's talking about forever, well, we kind of see what that means. Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, first verse in the New Testament. First verse, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. There we are. God is faithful to this promise. And there's a lot of names in between David and Jesus, I'll tell you. There's a lot of names. And yet God maintains that. He's faithful to that. That is so cool. And I don't even know, David probably had no clue what that meant exactly, but he had faith in God's promise to him. And we can have faith in God's promise to us, especially that we will inherit this everlasting kingdom that we're brought into that through Jesus on the cross. You know, do you ever watch highlights of Seahawks games or other sports games, the World Cup, which I missed because I love you guys. Uh, you know, you watch those highlights even though you know who's won. I bought my dad the San Francisco Giants like World Series DVD to see, you know, so he could watch their victory over and over again. Why is that entertaining? You don't have the suspense of the game. You, know, you could fast forward. It's whatever. But, oh, oh, it's satisfying, though. It's so fun. I love doing it. I'll watch that Seahawks-NFC championship against the Packers all day. It's like, yeah. And I grew up a 49er fan. Like, oh, oh come on. <laughs> That's why I did bulk of the sermon before that comment, which I wasn't planning to say, but I guess it was the Spirit's leading. Oh. But the point, the point, back to the point of what I was making, we watch those things because it's, we're experiencing victory. And we, in the same way, kind of a silly example, but in that same way, it's so true. We're promised victory in Jesus. And so we can live our lives that way, knowing that there's victory. David could live that way, knowing that there's victory. And not only is God telling him that, he's showing him that through these day-to-day victories and battle and all these things. Again, it's rooted in reality. And that's huge because I know I'm not good at keeping promises, (laughs) but thankfully God is to me. He's so faithful. So that's a real quick flyover of Psalm 18. And yeah, I'm sorry if you guys are used to more just like slicing through the Greek and the ancient Hebrew and all that. Um, But I really hope at least one of those things is standing out to you. And and this is what I want to leave you with. You know, again, 
just thinking about the power of story and how God is actively involved in our lives, throw those questions up. So two questions for you to talk to, to, talk to someone with about my sentence. I don't know if that was a sentence. First one, what, what keeps you from believing that God is worthy of your worship? Maybe you haven't even, maybe you're in this room and you haven't even declared that. Maybe you haven't even taken that step of faith to say, yeah, I, I believe this and I want to give my life to this. Because this is something we wrestle with, obviously, before. That's such a big question. That's the question every international student we talk to is coming face to face with. When we're presenting something about Jesus or just showing them our lives, we're saying, this is worth your everything. It's worth your parents being mad at you or getting thrown in prison. I mean, yeah, there's some serious security things we had to deal with in Egypt. So is God worthy? Or maybe another way you could ask that is, what is your heart today? I want you to think about today. Ask the Spirit to convict you. What is your heart drawn to worship as an alternative that's just not worthy? And thankfully, the next question is kind of an antidote to the first what story does God want you to remember today of him working in your life? And maybe it's not your life. Maybe it's the life of someone you know, family, friends. Maybe it's just one of the stories you heard up here or David's story or somewhere else you've been reading in scripture. What story does God want you to remember when you get to those low points? Because he does that so much. He always calls, calls God's people back to remember the Exodus, right? He, they cite that so much. You're like, can we get a new story to remember? But it's like, no, because that one was so powerful and God was really doing something there. He's given us the same. He's given you the same. And one last comment is that it, it doesn't have to be a you know, movie-ready theatrical grand story. It can be something as simple as our Chinese friend that just came to faith this year. A year ago, he was in Europe and was lost at a train station at night. And he was kind of panicking. And then some stranger came and helped him and got him on the right train and on his way. And he told me, like, he's like, God is, that was God. That was God in my life working. And I'm like, you're right. That's so cool that the Spirit would give you the eyes to see that. Um, so it doesn't have to be huge. It can be small. And so I'll just end with one verse, the ultimate story, the ultimate testimony of Jesus. Romans 5.8, which says, For God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All right, let's pray. Lord, I just, I thank you for today, I thank you that you've given us a new day to live. You've given us life, this, this beautiful place that we can live in, in western Washington. I'm just always in awe of it. I'm in awe of the stories that you give each and every one of us. I would love to hear the stories of everyone in this room of how you have worked in their lives and how you, Holy Spirit, just continue to live and work and move. And I pray, God, that as we as we look to you and see the big picture version of you and are, and are just in awe of you and how you are beyond worthy of our worship and we are just nothing, that we can balance that with you who sent your son and you, Jesus, that would just look us in the eye and say, I love you and I delight in you, not based on anything that you did, but what I did for you. And God, I just thank you. Just thank you for that and how you've worked in my life. And I just pray that everyone here would, that you would, 
remind them of a story of how you are actively working and this is not just something we're talking about, but this is real life and you are really here and you are really true and good in everything you say you are. I pray that you would continue to show us signs of that in your grace. By all means, we don't deserve it to see these things, God, but in your grace, you, you give us these stories. So I thank you for that. Thank you for the faithfulness of Redemption Bible Church uh, to you. And Lord, we just pray all these things in your, your glorious name of your son, Jesus, who is worthy. Amen.